Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we have on a guest to discuss a single stock uh, that they are an expert on. And today we have on Ed Chang. He is the founder and portfolio manager uh, or investor at Pledge Capital. Uh, and we're talking about the Joint Corp, which is a franchiser of chiropractic facilities. Uh, it's a very interesting pitch. You can tell just how smart he really is as we get into the interview. But before we get to that, Brett, what were some of your highlights? Yeah, the, the whole interview was good. The company is quite interesting. I think the biggest concern someone listening to this will have is, isn't chiropractic, you kind of have a thing in your mind, like isn't chiropractic kind of mumbo jumbo, or at least a lot of people think that. We kind of go through the size of the industry, uh, the quality reviews that the places get, the quality service that they run, and how it really is a medical profession. And they have the best brand in the industry, at least throughout the chains. Yeah, and they are, I believe, the largest chain uh, in the chiropractic space. But uh, I want to talk about our sponsor before we get to the interview. Today, we're talking about Common Stock. Common Stock is a community of experienced traders and investors, and it's the only social investing platform that lets you connect your existing brokerage account. Some They call it... Uh, sort of a Bloomberg terminal for Main Street. Something I really like about the community is there seems to be a lot of candor and people are, you're getting sort of the honest side of a lot of these investors. You've been a little more of a regular than I have. on. The you got to get on there. You got to, next time you do that, or you got to get on there. I know. I know. What uh, what has your experience been like? It is great. The There are a lot more posts than there used to be. So if you went on when it was, you know, started up earlier and there wasn't much activity, that has changed a ton. I'm seeing multiple posts every hour if you have your big feed here. And it's not just like Twitter where it's a lot of blurbs, maybe people doing stuff just for retweets. People are trying to start conversations. They're posting quality work here. I like to post our podcast shows and pose a few questions about the show that anyone interested in that security may be uh, wanting to discuss or any concerns they might have, stuff like that. Uh, and just think about that, but with any other individual investor. So lots of quality work. Yeah. We were talking about it with our friend, Brian Feroldi, and he said, I believe he described it as the signal to noise ratio is much better on common stock than, uh, than Twitter. So go ahead, check them out. You can visit commonstock.com to join today. It's commonstock, C-O-M-M-O-N-S-T-O-C-K.com to join. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. Today we are joined by Ed Chang. Uh, we met in Omaha at the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting through a mutual friend. Listeners may know him, Luis Sanchez. Uh, he's been on the show before, but today uh, we've got Ed on and we're talking about a company that has had a wild ride and it's maybe one that listeners aren't familiar with, but it's got an interesting story and we'll get to that in a sec. But I wanted to introduce Ed and kind of talk about Maybe some background for anyone who doesn't know you, doesn't follow you on Twitter. Uh, you run Pledge Capital now. Uh, how did you end up starting that and how has that journey been? Yeah, sure. So I started Pledge Capital in 2016 um, after covering restaurants on the sell side at UBS um, in their equity research department. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it was really a childhood dream of mine to start my own investment business, uh, managing money for uh, clients and, you know, friends and family and myself. It's, it's, a, it's been a passion of mine since I was uh, um, a young teen, right after the tech bubble, uh, bought my first stock, uh, Gateway Computers, uh, right after the tech bubble. I think it was trading at five mid-single-digit PE. And, uh, you know, anything you bought kind of just made money. It was a good time to, to get in. And uh, I had bought a computer on there 
it was cheaper direct to consumer. I was able to customize it. So, you know, kind of that Peter Lynch, know what you know, what you, you know, shop, uh, buy what you shop kind of story. Right. And everything just went up at that point. Right? I think it was like 2003. So, I mean, long story short, you know, fast forward to, you know, six years ago, um, had some experience on, 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 in Wall Street, uh, studied finance at NYU Stern. Uh, and, uh, you know, was, was able to, to raise some capital and, and launch, launch pledge capital. Do you have, I know you said you worked in, with a focus in retail is pledge kind of do, do, does the fund have a focus on retail or can it span anything? Yeah. I, so, you know, at UBS, I covered franchised restaurants and also company owned restaurants. Um, and, um, I mean, I've invested all over, um, to the companies that we were just talking about Chuck Aker and meeting at Chuck Aker's event. And, uh, he has been, um, you know, an inspiration. Uh, I invested in MasterCard in college, um, a decade ago. Congrats. Um, <laughs> largely learning from Chuck Aker. And I used that mental model to invest in Google at the same time, you know, around 2010, 2011. Uh, and, I, and I really held those stocks. Those were two of my companies at inception um, of, of Pledge Capital. You know, I loved MasterCards um, and also Visa, same thing. You know, they were doing a ton of credit card rewards. Their partners were. And I thought that was a, a nice uh, rebuttal to the short thesis that we're all going to switch to digital. You know, everyone in my age group was on the credit card rewards games and we're signing up for all these credit cards and it just seemed like a great retention and recruiting tool for, for the credit card ecosystem. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've expanded, you know, beyond, and I've, I've tried to leverage mental models to, to learn about their businesses, like restaurants, um, you have unit economics, right? One location leads to another and, and you have a sample and, and you can see if it goes uh, from regional to national, the franchise model is, uh, you know, high margin, capital light. It's a B two B. You're actually selling to, you know, partners, franchisees, and so I've used that to kind of think about software businesses and, and learn about software businesses. So, you know, pitched the joint in 2019 uh, at MOI, and then you know I've followed that up with uh, you know a pitch on Avid um, in, in 2020. Uh, at MOI and then Nuance uh, was another software company that I pitched. Uh, so I've, I've definitely tried to expand beyond um, retail into other, I just in general, I, I, when I think of compounders, uh, I, I like to compare companies to Google and MasterCard. But, you know, that that's kind of like where I like to focus consumer chains, compounders, software companies, um, things with network effects like MasterCard, um, just businesses that I feel have a, an advantage, uh, a addressable, a big addressable market, some sort of secular growth. And there's just good models, good business models. And today we are talking about joint corp or joint, I guess it's joint chiropractic kind of their yeah. franchise <laughs> chiropractor. Um, how did you come across them? And can you explain briefly what they do? So I guess I have to also shout out to Artco uh, Capital. He, he's written some stuff about it. Um, I follow a lot of uh, franchise um, publications. I keep my eye out on a lot of franchises. I mean, there's Goosehead, there's uh, EWCZ, there's uh, there's a bunch out there, right? There's a there's a car focused one, driven. Um, there's a bunch of fitness ones. When when we launched, um, uh, we were invested in Planet Fitness. We were also invested in a Chinese hotel franchise. There's two of them. We were invested in one of them called HTHT. It's like a budget hotel. I love going to franchise expos. Um, I go to them every year. Um, I passed on the joint initially because it was unprofitable. But in that 2019, 2018, you know, March 2018 timeframe, um, I started to see 
I started to expect that, you know, they're on the verge of profitability. Um, you know, I, uh, and, and that's when I really did, did a, you know, kind of beginning 2018, end of 2017, kind of started to do a, uh, a, a deep dive on them. And, uh, and that's when, uh, I made my initial investment. Um, I think it was like 550 to $6 a share. Okay. And what, what is their model, like business model? I know you meant it's chiropractic and franchises, but is there anything else we need to know about that? Yeah, it's, it's two segments, right? So on one hand, 15% of the units are company owned. So you can think of like a Starbucks or a Chipotle, any chain, right? Even floor decor, uh, floor and decor or five below where they're just opening more locations, um, taking the cash flow from established mature units and, and building new ones that are unprofitable and losing money and, and then scaling those into maturity when they you know generate cash flow. And then you have the franchise uh, segments, 85% of locations where they partner with franchisees who do all the work, uh, spend all the money. And so th- those are the two lines, the two segments of the business. Okay. And Joint chiropractic has grown pretty rapidly, at least if I'm remembering the IR presentations correctly over the last few years. What makes them different than competitors and why are they able to grow, you know, versus say these single practices, or maybe they're not stealing market share, they're kind of able to gain market share. And specifically, why are they able to evade the insurance uh, ecosystem? Great question. Um... Insurance is pretty complicated. Uh, a lot of doctors uh, and also chiropractors and physical therapists, frankly, don't like to take it. But that's where you know most customers are, right? Historically, and we've had a shift from you know the insurance model that I think our parents had to a lot of high deductible plans these days. Um, so that. That's a good setup for the joint. It's been a good setup for the joint to change. They, they call it revolutionizing access. Um, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Um, so how they differ from that independent chiropractor who you know may operate on his own or, or you know maybe has one or two chiros under him part-time or, or full-time is that you know the joint doesn't take insurance at all. Um, they save a lot of time on paperwork. Um, that's a pretty high cost for some chiropractors that are hiring someone at $30 an hour. Sometimes that person is actually making quite a bit of money just to handle. If you have someone who really knows how to deal with insurance, they're very valuable and they're kind of rare. You're constantly fighting for, um, you know, the insurance companies to, to get your, get your, get what you're old, right? And, and they can reject you for a lot of reasons. So, so the joint really created another system, uh, a cash-based, well, credit card, debit card, cash-based system um, to, to provide chiropractic care. Um, so on one hand, um, you know, they, you know, I think there's, there's a couple pieces of their value proposition. Um, you know, the typical chiropractor is charging insurance you know, thousands of dollars potentially over like a two or three month period. Um, and um, if you are in a high deductible plan, you're often, you know, asked to pay that out of pocket, right? It could be hundreds of dollars, five, six thousand, you know, $1,500 for that regimen that they lay out. Um, the joint has a $80 per month um, membership model. You know, and they charge an extra $10 for every visit that month. So if they tell you to come in twice a week, you know, that will run you $120 a month. So over like a three month period, it could be anywhere from $240 to $360. And during that same time, if you go to a typical Cairo who's insurance based, you know, if, if they have high prices, you could be paying a thousand. 500, 1,000, 1,500, even in some cases, $2,500 um, to go to that Cairo. There's some cheaper ones who, you know, are 
adopting cash-based models, you know, those will still run you more. I think like uh, you're still going to spend upwards of like five, eight, a thousand dollars. So that that's one piece. You know, they've they've re- they've gotten rid of that in- entire insurance infrastructure that you need um, that most doctors have, um, and that's they already spend a lot of time on their own uh, their own time to 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 handle the, those claims. Um, the joint also has higher cost real estate. They locate they love to locate next to a Trader Joe's, Planet Fitness you know, your big box grocery store or, or gym. So make it super convenient versus most chiropractors are in some medical office, you know, they're on the fifth floor and, you know, some, you know, typically more out of the way. And so, so the joint is, uh, it, it's more affordable. Um, it's easier and more accessible. And the last piece is that they're just really out there with marketing, right? Very few chiropractors can spend the level of money that the typical location uh, spends. So, you know, one of the great things about the joint is that they're actually expanding um, the, the, you know, the industry, they're, they're expanding the chiropractic industry, you know, 36, a third of their clients have never been to a chiropractor before. So that that's really how they're different. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, who are they, I guess, competing with? Like, is it sort of a, is, what's the typical chiropractor? Is it another, like, uh, chain? Or is it mostly just, like, individual chiropractors, like you mentioned, that are have their own room on a medical floor? So there are a few chains, right? The next two biggest chains are, you know, probably about 150, 170. So the joints like 730, 740 units. So they're like four times bigger um, and they're growing really quickly. The joint's growing like 20% a year. The next two chains are kind of stagnant or even shrinking. They're a little bit more insurance focused. Um, and then below that you have this, you know, long tail of, of small chains, um, I don't think you can assume the joint is going to be the only um, chain, right? It's not already. And there's some young promising, um, you know, $20 chiropractic, 100% chiropractic, new spine, uh, you know, these smaller units with like, you know, who are, who are almost like an order of magnitude smaller, right? Um, the joint's just much bigger. They're already starting to do TV ads. I think in the next couple of years, they're going to do national TV ads to really raise awareness um, and build a brand. They're on the cusp of that. Um, and then you have the whole long tail of uh, chiropractors that are single mom and pop. Maybe they, they, you know, maybe they have one or two chiropractors under them. That's the vast majority of the, um, you know, the industry. Right. How did COVID impact them? And I guess the industry at large. Uh, I thought the joint handled COVID extremely well. Um, you know, during, during COVID, 
people are really afraid to go out. I mean, if, if you talk to the typical doctor, um, you know, they, their offices saw big drops in, in visits. Um, you know, use U.S. physical therapy. You know, I think they reported a 40% decline in, in revenue. Uh, people just thought of doctor's offices as places where a lot of sick people potentially with COVID would go to. And the joint, um, they, they really responded well, right? They were, they handed out, they installed sanitation stations. They handed out masks to everyone. They had people wait in cars. I mean, like if you look at some of the other retail concepts out there, um, that I, you, you know, kind of consider similar, um, you know, franchise businesses that are a little recession resistant, um, gyms, right? Like, who wanted to go to a gym and exercise for 60 minutes and have to wear a mask. Whereas like, if you're going to a, a joint chiropractic clinic, wearing a mask for five minutes you know, or 10 minutes in that you're in the clinic, it's, it's no big deal. Right. And so you saw visits at a lot of these other retail or doctor's offices, you know, fall 20, 30, 40, 50%. And, um, you know, you saw their revenues just fall significantly. Um, the joint reported negative 6% same store sales in the second quarter of 2020. It, it, I believe it bounced back to like plus 10% in, in the third quarter. And then by 2021, they were growing same store sales 20% again, right? Um, so similar to what they were reporting before the pandemic. Um, yeah, for me, from my point of view, you know, it, it really showed how, you know, how strong this concept is, right? People really get a tremendous value proposition, right? You're, you're addressing your pain. It's a $20 so per adjustment, well, you know, 10 to 20, like $20 solution to your back problem, right? You, you're, you, you throw out your back shoveling snow. What do you do? Right. And a $20 adjustment, uh, you know, a, a 30, a, you know, 15 minute consult, like, oh, what do you do now? How, how do you fix this? You go get that adjustment. It helps alleviate pain. Right. I mean, you're, you're seeing on, um, you know, Ted Lasso or, or you're hearing about Mike Tyson or, 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 you know, Mayweather who, you know, and how they use chiropractors to, to address their pain and, and, and so you go in and give it a try and, um, it's located right next to the Trader Joe's. It's so easy to get to. So, you know, people love it. They give them such high reviews on, on Google maps and Yelps. I, re I remember, I think it was either in one of your write-ups for joint or in the MOI pitch, but you talked about COVID possibly being a benefit to their competitive positioning in the chiropractic industry. Did mm -hmm. that end up playing out? Did that, were there like, was it a chance for them to kind of take more market share? Yeah, no, that's uh that, I think that's a good point too. So, you know, typically, um, look, chiropractors, they're very well educated folks, right? They're, they're, they're smart. They tend to be, you know, pretty, um, you know, hardworking, they're, you know, they're educated people, right, with a lot of degrees, and they've been through a lot of school. However, not all of them are great business people, right? I've, I've talked to chiropractors who have like $100,000 in, in credit card debt, right? Like they're not doing well running or they didn't do well running a business. The, you don't learn that at chiropractic school. Um, not all chiropractors are natural business people they're not natural salespeople. they don't have that business hat right they're really good at treating pain fixing your you know physical ailments but a good i would assume 25 30 percent of the chiropractors chiropractors out there they're not they're not great they're not doing well running their own clinics right and so you know you so that's why i think you have a lot of chiropractors who just at some point decided they just put, or or they don't, or they don't even try to begin with they don't they don't want to take that financial risk they just would rather work for someone um get you know experience collect a paycheck maybe try to do it in the future 
and the the uh, the pandemic hurt a lot of doctors. It hurt a lot of chiropractors um, financially, and um, you know it. It I, I don't have the statistics, but I would assume that some doctors and chiropractors had financial difficulty and even financial trouble. And, um, you know, part of the appeal of the joint is that you can just show up for four hours or eight hours and just collect a nice paycheck, right? Like it annualized, right? A lot of their chiropractors are making $80,000, a year, which in a, you know, a city like Nashville or uh, Atlanta or, or Denver, that's, that's a pretty good living, right? Versus um, trying to start your own business and going through the stress of, you know, managing rent, marketing, payroll, potentially, you know, having to deal with insurance. Um, I tend to think that, you know, the, the pandemic was a benefit to the, to the system, to the joint system. Okay. And to the majority of people listening, the chiropractic industry is a bit of a mystery. So, I was wondering if you give any context to say how large is it? Um, how fast is it growing? I know the joint is trying to expand that total addressable market and what sort of opportunity versus say their numbers they have today, uh, financial numbers is joint chiropractic going after? Yeah. So the chiropractic industry is about 17 billion in, in, um, you know, size. The, the joint had about 360 million in system wide sales last year, right? Of which, you know, some of it is through their own clinics. Some of it, they, they take a 7% royalty check off of. Um, I, I kind of look at it as, um, similar, right? The joint today is doing something similar to like what Planet Fitness did, right? Planet Fitness helped expand the total number of Americans who are part of a gym member, a gym, right? They, they helped expand it from 10% to 20%. And the joint, because it's, um, you know, more affordable, more convenient, more accessible, and they're also really marketing it and raising awareness, right? Um, they're, they're bringing a lot of people and they're expanding the chiropractic industry. So I think they're doing something similar. We're kind of, you know, see it from go from, maybe 15 to 30%, right, of, of the U.S. population. I think you, you could see that in the next decade. Um, you know, historically, chiropractors have been given a bad name, um, and I think there's been some lawsuits. Um, the U.S. Medical Association uh, really attacked it unfairly. Um, you know, I think past generations may think of, often think of chiropractors as, Quacks, right? It's like a pseudoscience. Um, but they, these are medical professionals that know a lot about your body. Like I personally have benefited from a chiropractor. Um, I used to run a lot, a lot of wear and tear on my body uh, from from all those miles every single day. I talked to a chiropractor, and she told me, "Look, your back problem. Um, it's." You, you need to strengthen your glutes. You need to strengthen your leg muscles. You need eventually to, you know, once your back is not flaring up, you need to do deadlifts. You need to do back exercises. That's like the regimen I prescribed to you. It's going to take time. It's going to take months, right? Or even weeks at, at the very least to months to, you know, do those exercises, squats, you know, you need the, the, the Jenna Fonda exercise with the glutes. And in the meantime, I mean, your back's going to hurt. There's nothing, all I can do is temporarily relieve your pressure, right? It's chiropractic, in my opinion, a little bit like cannabis for older generation, right? Older generations, like athletes love, some athletes really like cannabis and, and chiropractic, right? They, they use it to address work-related pain, right? Cannabis does have anti-inflammatory uh, properties and also pain-relieving properties, a chiropractor fits in the same bucket, right? Um, they're, you know, getting those adjustments from my point of view, right? It helped me. It, it, it relieved my, my pain for like a day or two. 
it was a temporary solution. You know, you have to listen to your chiropractor. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of joint chiropractors. They really stress that part, right? And, and they see from the younger generation that they're really willing to listen. And I think with the older generation, they're, you know, a little bit less inclined to, to follow those instructions. Um, but in my, in my opinion, it, that, that image is changing. Um, I, I think uh, with the millennials and Gen Z and even in some percentage of, of, you know, people who are in their 50s and 60s, they're more willing to give chiropractic a try. You know, there, there was a lawsuit. Um, you know, now it's recognized as a solution for back pain. Um, and um, so, you know, to, to answer your, your, your question, right, like it's, it's kind of a bit of a mystery. Uh, it, it's only a mystery until you've tried it. Uh, and or you've heard of someone who gets a benefit. And I think society is shifting in that area where, you know, it's, it's been kind of beat up and, and looked down. Um, but it really serves a purpose. And, you know, the joint has, you know, if you just look at the reviews, there's so many happy customers who've um, gotten a benefit, right? You talk to their wellness coordinators or their doctors, they feel good about what they do. They feel good about you know, what they do on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, they talk a lot about how there's a lot of happy customers and it, it just, it, they have a lot of word of mouth. Um, it, I haven't seen a chain, um, a franchise chain grow same store sales, you know, 20% year after year for so long. Right. And even recently it's stepped down to 15%, but that's still phenomenal. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Right. Let's talk a little bit about those. Uh, you, you mentioned how happy the customers are. Uh, we saw on Google Maps that the locations get really strong reviews as well. You mentioned Yelp. What I think you touched on it briefly, but what other factors are driving that customer satisfaction? And what is that replicable by competitors? So yeah, the joint has four to five star reviews on average. I think it kind of clusters around four and a half. Um, you know, I've you can just pick pick six cities and and go look at every single location and, and read those reviews. Um, is it replicable? Yeah, I I think it is. I don't think there's anything proprietary in their model, right? And there's three key ingredients. One is it's very conveniently located. You're paying up for that real estate. This is right next to a Trader Joe's, um, a Fresh Market, you know, maybe a Whole Foods. Uh, you're next to a life, Lifetime Fitness, um, a, a Planet Fitness, some sort of big box exercise facility. You, you don't. There's no you know monopoly over that kind of space, right? Thousand thousand two hundred square foot space. Um, you know the price. It is another big part of the value proposition, right? You you need, you do need um, brand. Uh, you, you do need a strong brand, right? You need to be recognizable. You know, the the joint started from nothing, and now they have seven hundred something locations. They're they have word of mouth. It, it helps, right? That they, so they they have higher AUVs, right? They have a sustainable business model. So for a small company to come in. And, and do that right away, it, it might be hard. But the fact is that, you know, I think uh, New Spine is, is starting to do it 100% chiropractic is, is you know, I, I'm not as familiar with, you know, some of their numbers, but, um, you know, McDonald's has Wendy's, Burger King, Shake Shack, Five Guys, In-N-Out, right? Like Jack in the Box, like this is not... Um, it's not just going to be the joint, right? But the joint, what, what, who are they are competing for is they're competing for franchisees, right? And the, the joint has the most um, recognition. They're starting to do TV ads. Um, 
they, you know, have the biggest brand. They're they're twenty times bigger than than New Spine. Um, they they have that as an advantage, and I think that's hard to replicate. Um, you know, doing TV ads and and you know telling more consumers. You know, fifty percent of people have never heard of don't don't know what chiropractic is, right? And doing TV ads to raise awareness um, of the industry and also of the joint that does give you an advantage that's going to be hard to replicate until those uh, chains are, you know, six, seven, eight, or a thousand units strong. Um, but yeah, it's just that the value proposition is there and it's, it's a very big market, you know, even at um, 730 locations, they're a fraction of the, the total addressable market, which, which they're increasing. Gotcha. And when I looked at the earnings statements or their IR presentation, I saw that the company owned stores, and this might've been just recently, Mm -hmm. uh, are unprofitable versus the franchise model, which is highly profitable. And that seems to be masking the strong unit economics at the moment. Um, One, is that true? Two, when does that change? And what sort of margins do the company owned ones versus the franchise ones uh, have, and I guess maybe if you want to just go through any sort of financial numbers you think are relevant. Yeah. At this point with the stock trading at like 13, $14, you're basically getting the company owned segment for free. Uh, you're basically only paying for the franchise segment. Like you said, it's profitable. It's highly profitable longer term. You know, they're talking, you know, up to, you know, I, I think 40% plus, um, Operating margins is oh, wow. you know forty to fifty percent. Yeah, like with a franchise business, um, especially as they buy back more um, regional developer rights um, and, and they get back some of that royalty income. Um, the in general, these these franchise uh, businesses they have very high incremental margins. You know, they could be 80 percent, right? And so that should drive the margins up from the current levels, which, you know, I believe are um, like 20, just off the top of my head, it's like around 20, you know, 20%, um, maybe a little bit lower. And that's specifically um, for franchise. Only. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the franchise only business is, it, 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 in my opinion, it generates enough EBITDA to, to, you know, warrant the current, stock price. And so, you know, let's talk about the corporate level. You know, they've talked about 30% margins at maturity. Um, you know, the the unit level economics are that, um, you know, you, you spend $200,000 to open um, a location. In the first year, you lose 100,000. That's very, that's weighted to the first six months. Um, and um, but eventually when the, the stores mature, you're making 150, maybe, you know, 130, 150, 180,000, um, on, uh, a sales volume of, you know, 550 to 600,000. Right. So, um, yeah, you're getting close. Eventually, you know, you should get, you should move towards, you know, 25 to 30% margins, um, before corporate overhead. And so what's been happening, it's really three challenges, right? Or three headwinds. On one level, they're, you know, facing the same uh, headwinds that everyone's facing with, you know, not a lot of people out there. There's a lot of competition for labor. Um, So, you know, wages are going higher. Um, So wages went 20 went up 20%, right? I think that's what they went up in 2020. They were probably up 5% last year, and they're probably going to be up 5% this year. That's what I hear. Um, so that's one. The second factor is that they're opening a lot of stores, right? They're uh, expanding very aggressively. This is, you know, one of the fastest, one of the faster um, expansions that, that I think we're witnessing, right? They they went from 64 to 96 units last year. Um, this year, they're adding. They're probably going to open 30 or so stores, 30 or so, 30 or so stores, and and so those stores 
lose money in the first six months, right? Probably about a hundred thousand dollars. So you know, fifty thousand a quarter after after they open. So you can you know do the math of what what kind of pressure there is. If so, if they opened eight units, um, you know that's around four hundred thousand dollars in um, kind of a headwind. So that that's the second level, and then the third level, the third headwind has been that you know they're basically staffing up ahead of growth, right? They they probably need one manager for you know four to six locations. You need to hire those folks before you build those four to six locations, right? So you know a, a location might um, make. Um, you know, and it's not making money right away, right? You're, you're, you're the first year, you know, of profitability, right? So the first six months you lose a hundred thousand, then then the next next twelve months you, you might make might you might make you know forty fifty k. Um, if you hire one manager, um, you, his salary very well could be greater than that fifty sixty k that that first location makes, right? So, you know, eventually that location is going to go to. 100, 130, 150, 180,000 in, in profits. Uh, but you, you also need to build those extra locations and those extra locations lose 100,000 initially. And so there's those three levels that, you know, you have to, you just, that, that, that's just the reality of like, opening company owned locations, right? Versus a, a franchise model, which is, it, the beauty of a franchise model is that, you know, it, doesn't matter if you have two hundred fifty thousand in sales, or three hundred fifty, or five hundred, or six hundred thousand. You're just collecting seven percent, and it's a very high margin uh, revenue, even though you're only collecting seven percent, right? But the the joint believes, right, because you know you're you're incurring two hundred thousand dollars in 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 capex. You're incurring a hundred thousand dollars in losses to get to break even. And eventually, these units are making one hundred, hundred fifty, hundred eighty thousand dollars. You're earning a very nice return, right? Forty, fifty thousand, forty, fifty percent returns, right? And that's an attractive use of shareholder capital. But it it does take time to get there. And they, you know, they've gone from, um, I believe, like you know, they're going from sixty units to one hundred thirty units in in a two year period. Um, and most of that, the vast majority of that is just organic builds. And, and so you're going to lose money on the new units you open, but you're, you're also going to lose money from hiring people, right? You're, you're going to incur a cost from hiring people before those units are fully built out and also fully mature. So, so I imagine the uh, joint is probably more than happy to get franchisees to just sign on. So what... Is there any, um, I guess, holdup in terms of like, are they finding enough franchisees? What are they doing to uh, incentivize franchisees to come on board? They don't need to. I think the the it sells itself, right? You know, compared, you know, franchisees are always looking for different concepts, right? They're the joint is competing with restaurants, it's competing with fitness facilities, it's competing with massage concepts like massage envy and you know hand in stone it's competing with barber shops it's um so you know on one hand these units make like 40 50 percent cash on cash returns right um you know we we like to talk about irrs as investors but you know the the people who look at franchises especially if you're you're an individual investing and in, in opening five you're you're building out. You're you're looking at on a monthly basis. You know you're looking at cash on cash returns at the six month mark, twelve month mark, and so they're looking at oh in in year three or four I can make an, you know ten thousand dollars a month right and and they're analyzing that and then they're dividing that by their you know it by their um by their investment that that's how they're looking at it. They're looking at payback periods. The forty fifty percent return is very attractive, right? A lot of other concepts out there, you know, food ones, you know, the big ones that you can think of 10, 12, 13%, right? But everyone wants to open a McDonald's. There's not a lot of area left to, to open those. Um, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, you're, you're talking like 25, 30% returns, like, and then, you know, so 
so relative to like those concepts, not only is this return better, but frankly, it's also more simple to to manage, right? With with restaurants, you're you know, with uh, these franchise chains, you're dealing with a lot of part time um, teenagers, young twenties, who you know this is not like this is not their life's purpose, right? They they're not out there to to you know when when you hire chiropractors, you're dealing with someone who's highly educated, very responsible, like they they want to help people. They're they're a lot more dependable. And so, you know, instead of managing like 20 something, 30, 40 employees that are mostly part time in some of these other concepts that you're competing with, the joint, you're, you have like five, six, four, five, six employees, right? And, and like even in, in an, also it's actually easier to, to run three or four or five locations, which appeal of opening a few joints is that, you know, if, if you have one, location and one of your two chiropractors calls in sick all of a sudden you're are you going to close your door for a day or two until he gets better it, it becomes very stressful um so if you have like four or five locations and all of a sudden you have 10 chiropractors you're more likely to have someone who can fill in uh so it's a very competitive right people want to open these right they they have a long uh, pipeline there. That's, it's part of the reason they're, they're growing their units 20% a year. It's that there's a lot of demand for it. They, they don't have to go out there and, and push these. They, they can be selective and work with the best, um, operators who, you know, some of them have opened Planet Fitness in the past, right? Some of them open Massage Envy. They, they have been successful in other businesses. You know, the, the franchise, um, you know, network that they uh, built, it, it's a true asset for this company. Okay. Last question on the business. And I want to talk about the valuation in the stock. How do the chiropractors get compensated? Is it just like a fixed salary? Is it up to the franchisee or is it like, depending how many patients they see, do you know? It's, it really depends. In general, it's not on a per patient basis. Uh, it could be on an hourly basis. It could be a salaried position um, with, you know, and, and in both cases, there could be some sort of bonus depending on uh, how busy the location is or, or how profitable the location is. Uh, on, you know, on, on the high end, you know, for, for someone with a little bit more experience, like the ideal candidate is someone, you know, who has a few years of experience, maybe gave his, you know, gave their own location a try and didn't do well. And now just wants to, you know, kind, kind of is tired of that hustle, the, you know, the, the self-employed hustle and you get, you get paid 80, $90,000, right. That, or, or even a hundred with some, with some, you know, profit share. Um, and then below that, you know, you also have some folks who are kind of in between, right? They're making 70, 80,000. Uh, and, and some of these could be part-time. So they're making half of that now, right? For, for part-time work. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, the joint has a four-day full-time um, model where, you know, these chiropractors are getting paid $80,000, $90,000 to work uh, four, days, four days a week, full-time, you know, from, from morning to, to evening wanting to close. And, uh, you know, chiropractors, I think that's one area where people have been attacking them. Um, and they've been making adjustments. They added a lunch, uh, lunch break, right. To really give these folks, you know, hearing, you know, the complaints, um, and, you know, they're, they're working on some mentorship programs to really help retain, um, their their chiropractors um and you know they i think they've done a good job in that area to to respond to some of um the the unhappiness that chiropractors reported all right how do you go about valuing the joint stock or not joint stock the joint corp uh and what caused that big run-up it could have been it could be unknown i guess but What's caused the big run-up in 2021 and what's causing investors to be nervous now 
with the stock down, uh, what is it, 80% yeah, good question. or more from its highs? Yeah, uh, look, it went up a lot. I think a, a lot of that was um, driven by, you know, just momentum and, you know, just greed. Um, I think what people were doing was that they were looking out six, seven, eight, maybe even 10 years and extrapolating, extrapolating growth, extrapolating some of the targets, the margin targets that the, the company was, was, was saying. And, you know, at the peak, I thought they were pricing in everything the joint could do, um, that what I believe they could do in the next seven years. So, you know, I thought at, at, at 110, you're, you're holding dead money. Uh, for the next, you know, potentially six, seven years. And, and so, you know, I think there was maybe a short squeeze. There were, it got added to an index. So there are people who had to buy uh, a lot of various different reasons why it went up to, you know, 110. I, I started to think it was really expensive around 50 to 60. I started to, you know, I was trimming here and there. I was trimming 10, 15% in the, you know, 50s, 60s. I started to sell more aggressively in the 70s and 80s, and, and I sold out in the 90s. Um, you know, trading at 200 times income and uh, you know 110 times uh, owner's earnings, uh, which is a, a metric that Buffett likes to use. Um, it was very expensive to me, and I, I just I, you know, I I, I didn't see a, a lot of upside from from that level. Um, now you know now. Fast forward to less than a year, I feel like it's gone the other way, right? It it um, you know it overshot on the upside significantly, and now it's um, under it's undershooting. It's it's overshooting to the downside again, right? You know, owners, this box is extremely simple. There's it's not like a gym where there's a ton of equipment to replace. I mean, you have three chiropractic tables, you know, they cost like $3,000 each. They're very durable. Chiropractors say that you can use them for a year, decade, right? They almost never need to be replaced. It's, this is not like a, a restaurant where you have a ton of kitchen or equipment that needs, that breaks down and you have to replace it every couple of years uh, because you're using it so much. You're opening these refrigerators all the time, right? There, there's none of that, right? There's, there's very little maintenance capex, if, if any, Right. Um, so if you look at like um, the cash flow, um, which is greater than than their net income, because they're they're buying back these locations. Right. They're very low closure rate. Right. So, you know, these these and, and so they're amortizing these uh, these clinics that they're buying back over a three to seven year period. They're buying back these re regional developer rights. They're amortizing those over three or four period, uh, three or four years. There's no cash expense to like maintain those assets, right? But they're writing them off, and it's it's hitting the income. It it, it helps reduce you know taxes. Cash flow is higher than income, and at this point, you know where they they made they, they generated 15 million in, in operating cash flow last year. This is now a sub 200 million dollar company. Uh, with very little maintenance capex, I mean the vast majority of that operating cash flow is is actual sustainable profit. Um, you know they have like a million plus million and a half maybe of stock comp. So it it's an attractively uh, very attractively um, you know valued company at this point, growing units twenty percent. Well, maybe like fifteen percent long term for the next few years. And also still growing same source sales 15%. Maybe you want to assume five to 10%, right? That's, and it's most of the business is a franchise business, um, which is very high quality, capital light, high margin. Um, and, and the business itself, right? It's, it's a, an affordable solution to pain. It, it's a tremendous value proposition. So I, I think it's undershot to the downside at, at these levels. What do you think about the, I guess, who, who runs the company? Uh, what does the management team look like? And what do you think about them? How crucial are they to this investment? So I, I, I believe Peter Holt is, is actually a great manager. He's, he's very long-term thinking. 
I mean, if you looked at last year during the run-up, he didn't sell his shares, right? He, he was worth a considerable amount of money. I mean, for any, almost anyone, that's, that's a pretty nice, like, you know, 30 something million, 25 million. He didn't sell his shares. And so he's really looking at growing this thing to a thousand units, then eventually I think to 2000 units. Um, I think he's really, he worries and he thinks a lot about growing pains and also just, you know, the risk of growing too fast. And that's why I think he embraced the regional developer model, right? Where you bring in these guys who have had a lot of success, maybe in real estate, maybe as a, uh, a Planet Fitness franchisor or, or, or a franchisee, sorry, or, or a Massage Envy franchisee. And, and now they own a cluster of the joints and, and they're willing to train other franchisees and help them and coach them and also recruit franchisees to open uh, units, right? It, it's a, it's a, it really de-risks the growth. And, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, part of the reason they're losing money now um, at the corporate level, right. Or, you know, profits EBITDA has dropped uh, and they're only making a 7% EBITDA margin um, at the corporate level is because, you know, they're hiring people ahead of growth, right. So he's like, he's, again, he's being um, very, very thoughtful. Um, like I think in a lot, they have a lot of great management at at the mid uh, mid uh, mid executive level. I mean, I, I think someone who gets unfairly attacked is is actually Eric Simon. I personally think he's a he's a good guy. Um, he in his past he tried to open, um, you know, he tried he tried to franchise his you know uh, he, he franchised the concept and and he tried to you know become a business person. Unfortunately, he failed. And he had to file, uh, you know, a bankruptcy, right? That's what it was related to. Uh, I truly believe he doesn't want other people to follow his footsteps and fail. And I really believe he's very thoughtful in assessing applicants who um, try to open, uh, who want to open a joint location. And I mean, this team is, they're, they're looking for people they believe will succeed. Right. And they're also trying to give them resources. Um, they're, you know, the RDs, regional developers help. In my opinion, this is this is actually a really good uh, management team um, who I believe they, they will succeed at taking the joint to a thousand and then two thousand units. Are they uh, we're running running short on time here, but are they buying back stock at all? Or are they returning? Like, are they trying to? take advantage, I guess, of... I hope so. What you I, think is an undervaluation? I, yeah, I hope so. I mean, the um, both the CFO and the CEO, they were buying back shares. and They were buying shares personally um, in the 30s. Um, I, I mean, when I look at, you know, their, their cash flows, right? I mean, they, they could potentially buy back shares, um, you know, but they've chosen... You know, thus far, right? I, to 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 buy back, you know, well performing. So so recently, they bought back some units in Arizona. Those those units are probably really profitable from from franchisees. Um, but yeah, I, I would hope, you know, and and I, and I will voice to them um, that it, it'll be it, their stock is a is a good uh, good target for for that capital. You know, that well, free cash flow they're generating. If they're listening, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Hopefully exactly. Listening. Hopefully, you know, if they're listening, uh, it would be the right move. <laughs> All right. Last question. Pre-mortem here. What do you think you go wrong? What are the biggest risks, biggest risks to an investment in the joint corp? Uh, so I do believe, right, that, you know, the execution risk is, is, is key, right? The failure to execute would be something, you know, that um, I would put up there. Um, but I believe they're making the right moves. Um, you know, they, the mentorship model that they're, they're working on, right? Like holding on to doctors is, is I think really key. Um, and, and they've made right moves in, in this, in, in this area, right? They reduced the, the, um, the churn of doctors from, from 50% to, to like 26%. 
Uh, I mean, these are highly educated like individuals, you know, make with an upside of, you know, 90 to 100K. Some of them want more. I really think the joint needs to, you know, come out with a, with a path to ownership. I mean, it's something that they're working on. Um, you know, I've spoken to several chiropractors who left, but would have stayed if they were able to buy into a location or if the joint helped them, um, you know, open or co-own a, a, a joint franchise. It's just, a, it's a shame to see these people leave the system um, and, and turnover is, is never good. Um, so it, it's nice to see that they reduced the turnover. Uh, I do want to see how that kind of spreads across the, the franchise. Um, you know, you know, right now, I, I think most of that is, is on the company side. Um, it, it would be nice to see them roll that out successfully. I think that's something that they need to do. Um, and um, I mean, post more pre-mortem stagflation, just I, it is, it could be worrying, right? I mean, they raised uh, labor cost 20%, right? A lot of, a lot of franchisees raised uh, labor, raised wages 20% in 2025, probably 5% last year, maybe three to 5% this year. I, I'm not an economist. I tend to be optimistic and think that we're going to get out of this, right? Like the other day I was at a Uniqlo and half the registers in on the fifth Avenue Uniqlo are now um, self-checkout. You don't even have to scan anything. You just drop all your clothing onto the, the, you know, the sensor and it automatically figures out exactly what you've picked up. And it was hundred percent correct. And you just, you can just swipe your card and, and move out. Right. Like, I feel like there are solutions like in general it technology and, and a lot of these like cost pressures that we're seeing, like I, I believe they're they, in the long term, they, they will ease. Right. I mean, food, gas, it, it's a commodity. Um, and you know, the solution to high prices long-term is, is high prices. That's like what all the, what all the old timers like to say. And I mean, right now there's a lot of, uh, inflation, but um, I, I tend to think that you know if we go out two, three, four years, um, we will have resolved that. But it would, I think, be scary. And I think to some degree, the stock is pricing in a scenario where you know there's a ten percent increase in chiropractors, five to ten percent increase in chiropractor salaries every year for for perpetuity. So yeah. um, that would have big margin pressure. Potentially, yeah, they're they're raising prices this year, right? Um, but yeah, it, it it that would be something that could cap some of the upside, right? If you know, in an ideal scenario, we go back to like uh, n- a normal level of like you know two to three percent inflation, and you know they're they're still growing. You could see economic unit economics improve from forty to fifty percent to maybe sixty seven sixty percent long term. Um, but you know, unit economics could get hit or capped if there's inflation. Okay. Do if if joint is increasing prices, does that mean the chiropractors that are also accepting insurance probably doing the same thing? Or does that yeah, kind of- some of the surveys are kind of suggesting that prices um are bouncing right now. Okay. We'll, we'll have to see what the next survey says, but you are seeing that in general, there's a lot of uh, inflation in, in medical services, right? We've, um, so yeah, we're still waiting on chiropractic specific numbers, but in general, if you look across healthcare, uh, for example, the Center of Medicare Services just approved one of the biggest price increases for um, Medicare reimbursements, it's high single digits, I believe, like 8%. So you'll probably some, see something similar in chiropractic services. Okay. I think that's all the questions we have. Do you have any cool. more? Okay. Well, for any listeners that want to keep up with you, want to see maybe more of your work, what is the best place to uh, follow along or, or uh, keep up? I'm on Twitter at Edward W. Chang. I mean, you, you can also free, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or, or through email. Uh, my email is listed on my uh, company's website. I'm always, uh, you know, love hearing uh, feedback. 
um, you know, whether it's uh, a short thesis or, or other new ideas, you know, always happy to chat. Okay. And pledge.capital, right? That's yeah, www.pledge.capital. Perfect. All right. Well, that is going to do it. We want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, Ed, for coming on the show. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for having me. 